Hey everyone, Stuart here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate your support. Um, if you haven't already, please hit subscribe and tell a friend. Um, we also have to announce our vinyl record presale of our debut album. It's been a long time coming, but we finally started it. It's a Kickstarter, so we'll be able to get your money to help us. As you know, um, we've already paid for most of the record, but we're still in debt on it. Um, so our lack of uh, income from not being able to play these live shows from sheltering in place has really hindered our ability to pay it. So we're hoping that this vinyl pre-sale will help out quite a bit. Um, anyway, that's going to be in the link in our bio of our podcast. So whatever app you're using, just go to the description of the episode and you'll find it there. You'll be able to find it on our website, radiokeysmusic.com, and we'll announce it on all our social media and all that as well. Uh, it might be, it might not be live quite yet, but it'll get there. So uh, check in the next few days if it ha if it isn't up already. All right. Now, without further ado, we have Alante who's going to talk about uh, the short but impactful life of Kurt Cobain, and I'm going to tell a little story about the Leonard Skinner plane crash. All right. Enjoy, everyone. What's up, Keezers? Yeah, the the radio heads is what we're going to call them. <laughs> no, that was our joke. Uh, we were playing disc golf and trying to fi figure out a name for all, all our all five of our loyal followers. And we think uh, the radio heads is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that, that's much better than Keezers. Keezers, I don't even know what, like, <laughs> I don't even know what that is derivative of. I you don't know? know, yeah. Fuck. Well, cheers, man. Good to have you. Yes, sir. I mean, I guess... We live together, so it's not good to see you again, but because you live here, oh, yeah, and yeah, we've yeah. been stuck together for like 30 days now. It's been a month at least, right? Since the uh, shelter in place? At least, right? Yeah. Crazy uh, times, man. Yeah, and a, and a little bit before that, we, it was like everything was shutting down slowly but surely, so it feels longer than that even. Um, yeah, I'm glad we uh, calmed the pace down, because uh, the first two weeks of shelter in place, we were running at a pretty high speed. <laughs> There's a lot to adapt to, yeah. you know, and I think we did a decent job of adapting on the fly and just trying to figure out how to do it because it's impossible. Like, to, and it's not impossible, but it's really hard to learn like brand new skill sets in order to get material out in different ways than you've ever done before. Yeah. 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 It's like changing your business model. Yeah. You know, on the fly, on the fly. Yeah. But I mean, we, uh, we've been, as some of the listeners probably know, we've been recording what's, what we're calling the, the shelter sessions, and it's a bunch of cover songs that we've decided to record and put out. We uh, pay the mechanical royalties and whatnot, and um, it's just material that we wanted to put out um, eventually. We cover a lot of these songs live, uh -huh. and um, it's just a perfect opportunity because we didn't you know, want to burn our original tunes on maybe on a a recording that maybe isn't as good as it could be in the future if we had like proper rehearsal and time to sit there and write it. So we decided to just do a bunch of cover songs and kind of, you know, adapt on the fly and uh you know, we each kind of throw our own own flavoring on it and there's no one really breathing down our necks when we record. So <laughs> Yeah, it's actually kind of nice and refreshing, you know. Um I mean, nothing's refreshing about these times, but 
it's nice to play some different tunes that we haven't played. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the last year and a half, we've been playing on our album pretty hard for yeah. shows, and then, you know, we can stretch out a little bit at our longer gigs, but it's been nice to play some songs that aren't necessarily in our in our bag right now. Yeah, and uh, so we've released three. I'm Only Sleeping um, was our last one, and that one got the best traction probably. Um, I, it was my favorite to record. I don't know how you felt about it. I think you did a really good job on the mix. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man, mix it. That song, I mean, I'm going to get killed for this, but I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. <laughs> but uh, I love that song. I was playing it last night when you went to bed, man. I was just in the back listening to Radio Keys, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> Well, when you're drunk and you can't have something, it's like you want it more, so you like reminisce in the backyard and stuff like that, and you're just like... At two o'clock in the morning, by yourself, <laughs> on your phone, listening to your band. There's with nothing a, wrong with that, dude. With, with a nice cold beer and a fire. Cold beer. Cold jeans. <laughs> oh, I love that. What is that from? Is that a comedian's it's a bit? comedian, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so he's funny. like one of those uh, guitar player, like singer yeah. comedians or whatever, and he has this country song or whatever. <laughs> cold beer. No, but yeah, those uh, those tracks have been really fun to create. And especially, like, just in your house, I think it kind of makes me and you realize that we could be sort of doing a little bit more at home. Totally. Even when we get back out and in the world and playing shows, like, yeah. we got to keep that momentum going, too. Yeah. Keep that same energy. That's what you're saying. Keep that same energy, dude. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've kind of discovered that there is a lot more we can do, like you just said. And it is fun. It is a lot of fun, and it's really rewarding, and there's a lot of positive things to it. <clears throat> so I'm glad we're doing it. The podcast has been a little tough because usually it's Emily and I, but we're here together, so yeah. And they just did one; it was really good. Yeah, I really like that one because it it gave it like left a lot of breadcrumbs for content that you can look up. Yeah, for sure. Because everyone's starving for content. Yeah. So she she talked about like ten artists and their records that have come out this month or last month, and it's just like really, really fun to you know check out new material, check out new artists, their new projects, and. And especially when we're like kind of starving for content right now. It's, for sure. I mean, like, that was kind of the foundation of this podcast, right? To uh, get people to connected listen. with new, <clears throat> new That was music. the original. Yeah, that was the original intent. Yeah. And then we started doing all this different stuff. Yeah. Loosening uh, the it reins evolved. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Loosening the leash. Um, it, and on, a, on that note, um, there was an album released, I think today or yesterday, by Well Secluded. Um, they're a local act, and I I really like the record. I was listening to it today, um, and I sent a message on their profile. I was like, it has like really strong Nirvana vibes too. So I was like, I you know me, I'm a big Nirvana fan. Yeah, you're. And it's kind of a segue, um, what we're going to talk about in a little bit, but um, yeah. So check out that um, that record. I think it's called Songs to Forget Me By. Okay. Or. Something like that. I'd have to double check for yeah, sure. Yeah, I heard you listening to it this morning. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to check that out a little bit later. They, it was really. I really liked the quality of uh, the vocals in it. The vocals were recorded really well. I I felt. Um, let's see. Well secluded. It's uh, songs to forget us by. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> and it's a. It's very raw, like grunge almost type album. Really good vocal performance. Uh, really good. Uh, guitar tone on it. Was it on Spotify? Where'd you find it? I found it on Spotify. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, I would check out Will Secluded's record. 
uh, songs to forget us by shout out to those guys um we're not you know super close to them we don't we haven't really hung out a ton but i'd love to love to get to know them a little bit better for I know sure they're close with overland and a few other people that we're close with so might as well yes sir anyway so that, the segue is uh we decided to do a rock and roll rewind today which some of our listeners know that this is when we talk about events in music history so do you want to go first or second what are you feeling I can go now. You want to go now? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Cool. So uh, <clears throat> I really wanted to talk about something that was close to me and uh, that influenced me as a musician, and it's going to be Nirvana. Nice. Um, yeah, I love Nirvana. They're one of my favorites. I really do love Nirvana. Kurt Cobain was like so inspiring to me as a songwriter. He's incredible, man. Yeah. But uh, just a quick little rundown on Nirvana, because I think it's important. Like, uh, Cobain started playing drums first, which I didn't know. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, because I'm a drummer, and I love yeah. that. Um, I didn't know that either, actually. I, I mean, I'm sure I knew that, like, somewhere back in my distant memory, but yeah, yeah. I definitely forgot it. I think about eight, about year, eight years old, he started playing drums, and, um, you know, he was just sort of fell in love with music through drums, which is really awesome. Um, and then, like, unfortunately, like, a lot of famous musicians or artists he just had a really rough childhood man yeah what uh, was it what was like well you know like parents being divorced um yeah. <clears throat> you know growing up in not the greatest home environment um you know and him and his mom didn't get along when he was really young yeah and so he ended up going to stay with his dad which uh was really the the beginning of nirvana kind of um he went to uh, high school with Buzz Osborne from the Melvins. Okay. So the Melvins are like, they're like the granddaddy of grunge band. And so when he met with Buzz, man, Buzz was like, dude, you got to listen to some punk. Because Kurt had already been sort of playing guitar and drums. Yeah. And he was into sort of bluesy stuff. I think a little influence from his dad. But uh, he started listening to really fast punk. And really got into it, and uh, Buzz was like, dude, you got to come to the show. And Kurt basically became like the mascot for the Melvins. You know what I mean? Like, he was following them around everywhere. Um, And then at some point, he had the opportunity to get a guitar. I think his uncle was like, hey, man, do you want a bicycle or a guitar? And he's like, I want a guitar, man. Dude, easy. Yeah, easy easy choice, right? (laughs) Wait, uncle? Uncle. Who was it? It was his uncle. like, grandpa. Yeah, because he was bouncing around, you know, <laughs> staying with this family member because he got kicked out of his mom's house. He yeah. didn't get along with the new, the new stepdad and just kind of the, the story that a lot of people have lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got that guitar, man, and that was sort of the beginning of the awesomeness that was Nirvana. Yeah, their uh, early stuff is way more punk rock, too, like before they refined their sound. Like, mm-hmm. Super punk. Super punk. And their drummer, too, was like very, like, gritty punk rock until Dave Grohl, basically. Well, there was like a revolving door with the drummers. <laughs> I think they had like six drummers before Grohl. And that's in like two years. There yeah. three years, right? Like, you know, I think it's six. Six drummers, man. He was he was going through the drummers, just firing them <clears> left <throat> and right. Um, but yeah. And so he met up with the bass player of Nirvana. They went to the same high school. And those two, man, they, they were both come from a really rough background and they kind of bonded on that and from that point they just started making really fast fun punk music because this is you know washington 
yeah. Seattle area, and you know that was kind of the the sound over there at the time. Yeah, it's like really fast punk, like the Melvins, you know that whole that whole scene. Um, and so yeah, man, they started kind of doing what we're doing, just playing bars, and they're yeah. playing a show, man. At uh, I think it was the Rogue. This might have been before the Rogue, but um, or the Vogue. My bad, it's the Vogue. And there's just one guy, like man, I, I think I can do something with these guys. And it was the guy from uh, Sub Pop. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty famous record label, I feel. Yeah, they were really small back then, um, and he was just like, I'm gonna put on a showcase for you guys. You're gonna play this showcase, and you know, Kurt was just stoked. He was happy. Like this is, mm-hmm. he had nothing going on. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's all he had was his music and his sh- kind of shitty personal life. So that that motivated a man, and in a year from being signed to Sub Pop, between then, between being signed and a year later, they were on tour in Europe, and this is with like drummer number three, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they went, you know, they were on tour in Europe, and and this was uh, this sort of started the downward spiral of poor Kurt. Poor Kurt. It's sort yeah. of a famous story of how he would kind of go crazy on stage and. Uh, they were playing like a show, and his anxiety was getting to him. He was, and this is before the big H, right? He hadn't yeah, yeah. he hadn't started off on that stuff yet. <laughs> and uh, there's a story of him climbing a stack on stage, like 30 feet high, quit like stopping the show, climbing this stack, and being like, "I'm gonna jump, you know, I'm gonna kill myself," and all this stuff on stage. And they're in like Italy. Jesus. All right. And his, his ba- <laughs> these Italians are like, <laughs> yeah, like what's they don't they don't really know what grunge is. Yeah. At that point, it was kind of a pocket. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so they're already like these guys are a little rough, man. They got long hair. They're yeah. you know wearing baggy clothes, and the singer just flipped out, broke his guitar, and climbed on top of a thirty foot stack, and now he's trying to jump off. And, you know, they realize it's not a part of the show. You know, because they're they're screaming jump, jump, jump. You know, <laughs> and then they realize, oh no, this guy's he's losing his shit right now he's like i swear i'm gonna do it and they're yeah. like do it, they're like, do it. And he's like no i really will and they're like okay yeah <laughs> and so that sort of became the beginning of the trouble behavior with with kurt man like he was a tortured artist dude like he he was a a, a great artist a great creator a great great songwriter um but he just was not meant to be famous yeah you one know? of those guys who just can't do it right yeah um, can't I feel like those people, it's like they're given this incredible gift. I mean, that might not be the fairest way to phrase it. They're, they earn this incredible gift. They earn the mm-hmm. ability to be famous, you know? Mm-hmm. And then now they are. And I think being famous can be like a sword, you know, a double-edged sword, so to speak. You can, like, use it to, to your advantage, you know, as a weapon. You can use it as a source of power and accomplishment. Or you could use it on yourself and grab it by the wrong end. And I, I feel like people who who tend to grab it by the wrong end, they would have done it whether or not they were famous, you know, they would have they would have found a way to, you know, kind of hurt themselves or whatever you you might say. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's sad, man. It's sad, but it's almost like sometimes life is like, I'm gonna give you this gift mm-hmm. and this curse. Totally. You know? And totally. it, it seems to be that way a lot with creative people unfortunately but yeah man so that's about 1989 you yeah. know when that happened the the whole sub pop records thing yeah 
And they got a $600 record deal. They sent them off to Europe in a 10-passenger van <laughs> with another band. Um, and it's got to be the smelliest van. Just the time. smelliest van of all time. <laughs> just like eight grunge dudes in a 15-passenger van. You know what I mean? Smoking grass and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so that's like 89. And then um, Kurt had gotten back from tour and broke up with his girlfriend. And we all know what happens when musicians break up with their girlfriends they get really emotional they get like, man i could have been single this whole tour in europe <laughs> that and you end up with some really good so- uh really good songs <laughs> yeah you know what i mean there's only one place to channel it it's either just like your own sadness and everything's a bummer or you choose to channel into creative i've written a lot of great songs when i've been my most bummed for sure yeah I mean, I don't mean to call my own songs great, but I feel like they're great. Like, and then I've written. I think they're great, man. Thanks, brother. I I I feel like a lot of I've written a lot of shitty songs too, but it's just a process and it it sharpens tools. You know, it's like baseball, dude. Three out of ten is Hall of Fame. (laughs) That's fair. fair. Yeah. So 1990, man, he comes back from this European tour, and he's just all mentally messed up, and he's. You just can't handle it. And this is a small level of exposure at this point, right? Like, they're not Nirvana yet. And this is Drummer 4, I <laughs> yeah. think, you know, about Drummer 4. Drummer not Dave Grohl. Drummer not Dave yeah, Grohl, number four. Really <laughs> and so they get back, and, he, you know, he goes through this little depression, and that's kind of when the, the heroin came in to play. Gotcha. And that's about 1990, man, and, and, and that was rough. So he ends up dating another chick who's a drummer, and he's just just infatuated with this chick they date for two months she breaks up with him but before you know before they broke up they were at you know they're having a little party doing whatever they did in seattle in 1990 (laughs) heroin and (laughs) (laughs) and uh and the girls his ex-girlfriend or his girlfriend at the time's friend yeah is like kurt you smell like teen spirit and he was he was like all day like what did she mean by that like he couldn't yeah. figure it out you know and he would end up writing it everywhere and somehow it became like his moniker like yeah. you know like he you know kurt smells like teen spirit <laughs> was teen what was teen spirit did teen, ever... teen spirit's a deodorant oh it's a women's deodorant okay and it's for girls for for <laughs> teenage girls so he smells like a girl He's, she was, she trying, was to trying to say that he yeah he didn't know that but he figured it out like Fucking. yeah <laughs> she was telling him that he smelled like a teenage girl and so she's when, probably begging for royalties right now. She's, she's like, somewhere like, serious? that's my idea. Yeah, she has to be. Yeah. I would be like that, too. I'd be like, I told Kurt he smelled like Teen Spirit. <laughs> then it blew up. And then it blew up. Where's my money? <laughs> <laughs> and so like people that were close to him at the time would say like he had it written on his wall. You know, it was on his journals. Like it was like for some reason he was really infatuated with the phrase smells like Teen Spirit. Um. But yeah, so that happened. Girlfriend breaks up with him, which is a constant theme in his very young life. Depression. And he's like 22, 23 right now. Yep. That's and a tough time to get broken up with. Yep. Especially when you're like in love, you know, when you're 22. You remember that? You're like, oh, I'm in love, man. Yeah. But uh, anyway. You feel things very deeply when you're younger, and then I think over time you get beaten down you just so get many beaten times. Beaten down by life, you dude. Get you're like, <laughs> yeah, so. Girlfriend breaks up with old Kurt, man, sends him to another downward spiral. And that's when he got his guitar and he started writing. 
And that's when he came up with that riff. Dun, 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 you know what I mean? And uh, don't copyright us for me singing that. Anyways, <laughs> um, he, he came up with that riff and he called it uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that's when he wrote that. Um, and then so drummer number five comes in the picture, not Dave Grohl. And, you know, they're, they're playing around still and they're, they're starting to get real big buzz now. They're playing what would be equivalent to like Slim's in, you know, Seattle, that size venues. And they're yeah. selling everything out and they're getting big. And then Geffen Records comes along and swipes them up. And that's a major record that, label. That's a major record yeah. label, yeah. And it was actually one of the, the subs of Geffen. Yeah. It was like their rock and roll, whatever it is. But uh, it was like GB... Some letters, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was Geffen. It was under yeah. Geffen. And uh, that's when he started writing um, name of the first record. Uh, Nevermind. Nevermind. Yeah. With, the, with, the, with the baby and everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's when he started writing that. Drummer number five quits. Idiot. <laughs> and uh, they met Grohl through friends. And, you know, Grohl was kind of straight edge. He wasn't, of course in, he, was. he wasn't into the partying and all of that stuff, so they didn't think it was going to work. But then he heard that, that growth pocket, man, and he was like, this is my guy. Well, I feel like, I mean, you, you're better to speak on Grohl than me, but mm -hmm. I felt like his, drum, his drumming was so signature in Nirvana. Like, everyone else just made it sound like a fast punk band, mm -hmm. but he made, he, like, really drew out the melodies and the rhythms of the vocals and the guitars in a way that no other... Uh, Nirvana drummer had yeah I think personally two things I think he that he finally was a drummer that played as powerful mm -hmm. as Kurt did because you know Nirvana didn't write complicated songs yeah you know what I mean it was all about the feel and like the power and the energy and Grohl brought that same that he brought that same heat you know what I yeah. mean and and I think that's kind of what what cemented him in the band yeah and then they started writing Nevermind, man he left a lot of space too in, in his drumming like all the other drummers were taking up so much space with those really fast you know eighth notes on the yeah they're playing all that stuff and it's like there's not really any space now to to stretch a little bit and it's not like they're stretching like the almond brothers stretch but they're stretching like in terms of the songs not having to be as fast you know, and then it expands the rhythms you're able to play when not everything's da 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 It sort of makes sense that they sounded like that, being that they came out of that sort of yeah. fast punk world of Seattle with the Melvins and everything. Um, but, you know, Grohl was kind of a, a little bit of a more rock and roll kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And he brought that fat rock and roll, high energy, not a lot of notes, big sound, man, and... That record to this day is it's probably a top top yeah. ten top twenty record of all time, depending on where you look at it, and it changed the landscape of music for sure, yeah, so just a bunch of butt rock bands until Nirvana came around, and then that was the most obsolete extinct thing after and that's that. when they went that's when they went uh national man they went around the world at that point um and that's like nineteen ninety nineteen ninety one and unfortunately. We all know what happened in 94. Yeah. So their run was very short, unfortunately, mm -hmm. man. And it, it should have been longer. We should yeah. have had more. But, um, yeah, that, that was a, this story is kind of important to me because 
all the music that I grew up on um, or that I decided to listen to myself, not yeah. stuff I grew up on, like Blink-182 and all these punk bands. If you ask those guys, like, why do you play music? They're going to tell you Nirvana, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it's very close to me that all my favorite musicians, favorite musician yeah. was Kurt Cobain. Totally. You know, so that that's kind of how it ties in with me. Yeah, and then after that, man, touring, more breakups, and then whole. Yeah. <laughs> he met old Courtney. Yeah. And so this was in when did he meet Courtney? Because I know he had a kid, Francis. Yeah, Francis. Um, um, so he must. I want to say that was ninety two. Met Courtney. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. Or had Francis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were you wanted to talk about his death too, more I, specifically, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just that was kind of the moment in rock and roll history part of this yeah, whole thing is totally. like him dying. That was the first uh, rock star that I remembered. Yeah, dying. He must have been young. I mean, I was like six or seven. I think I was four. Yeah, four or five. But I didn't, you know, that I remember him dying. Like I remember that being a thing, and I didn't. You don't really know what that means when you're a kid. You're like, oh, some rock star died. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then there's just a million conspiracies about how he died, whether or not he shot himself whether or not he was killed when his tox toxicology report had like three times the overdose amount of okay. heroin in his system oh, so that so what is what do they judge that by like what is like the this is enough to kill a person like what how do they scale that Dude, you think, know what i mean i think it's like kind of like blood alcohol level okay like he weighed this much and, you know, he had this much heroin in him. He like, must have built up an insane tolerance. Though. Had to have, yeah. You know? Like, so what is, quote, three times the lethal dose for someone who shoots heroin every day? So the first cons- that's, that's the first conspiracy is that he didn't kill himself and that someone shot him up when he was already high mm. with a boatload of heroin because they wanted to rob him. Um. And so that was like the first conspiracy that I came across, right? Like, mm. and then he died, and so they tried to make it seem like a suicide. Um, I don't really believe that. I personally think he committed suicide. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's pretty just there's bummed. just he was a pretty bummed out person. He was very sad, man. Like, yeah. you know, the the rock stardom only made what he thought would he thought being a rock star would make him happy, and it only made that shitty childhood worse. And like. He was just, and he was, and he was chronically sick. He's always ill. He had stomach problems. And dude, that would kill me. Like, could you imagine having stomach ulcers? Not just like one, but like two or three or four at a time. And dude, I don't like having a stomach ache. Yeah. And it's just like a constant pain in your gut. And it's like your lower gut, you know? So it's like you can barely stand up. Um, I heard his hands were getting all gnarled from the heroin, so he could barely play guitar he anymore. He could barely play guitar. At the end there, um, Grohl said that like Nirvana was either going to break up or they were going to need to take a break or something because he was so ill and he was so out of his mind on drugs that he was just impossible to be around. And he was saying how like his body was just breaking down. He, he just looked like a skeleton of himself, you know? Yeah. It's sad to see, dude. That was like a four-year decline, too. Yeah. 
because you said he started doing it in 90, right? About 90. Yeah, quick. so then 94, he's already at the end of his rope. I mean, literally from playing shows at local Seattle bars to 1994 death. They're playing stadiums and shit. Too, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Man. And that short amount of time was about four years. That's yeah, unreal. I mean, so he went from being a, a club musician to the, the biggest rock star in the world in yeah. four years with all that baggage that he had before. You know what yeah. I mean? And he just couldn't handle it. And uh, more and more drugs. And there, I mean, there are some recordings uh, towards the end of um, Nirvana on stage, and he's just strung out, man. Yeah, I've seen a lot of real bummer of. Uh, you know videos of him sometimes he's like just like you can tell he's so agitated yeah. for some reason yeah then there's other ones where he's just not looking too it's good it's awfully similar to bradley from oh yeah yeah from sublime and uh amy winehouse yeah yep, yep. very similar to i remember watching some amy winehouse videos where i'm like i gotta change this yeah <laughs> like it's, it's rough it's rough yeah and man. she's such a sweet sweet soul and it's like i don't know it's just tough to see because you know these people they're not bad people. Mm-hmm. They're just really hurting. And they don't know. They're like, they're trying to contain this hurt. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, it, it boils over and spills out. And it's like, you know, all of them were just like so deeply in pain. He definitely was in pain and he definitely didn't want to be. Physical and emotional. They found his journal, you know, after he died. Yeah. And there's just entry after entry, like entry. I'll... I would trade anything in the world to not be a heroin addict. Like that's all he wrote about yeah. is how much he didn't want to be on drugs. And, um, you know, I think a very specific date, but I think it was March 30th, 1994. He bought the shotgun and he called a close friend and said, Hey, take me to the airport. I got to fly off to play some shows. When I get back, he forgot he had the shotgun. So the friend ended up taking the shotgun to the house. Mm. Okay. And so, why did he buy the shotgun? Did he say why? They assumed that he knew that he yeah. wanted to kill himself. Um, but, you know, so anyways, the friend takes the, the shells back to the house because he had to get on an airplane. And uh, Kurt looked back at him as he's getting out of the car. And he's like, uh, I'm not playing shows. Like, I'm going to go to rehab. So he was trying to get help. And this is days before he killed himself. You know what I mean? So it's just really, really sad. It's like... It just reminds me of, like, uh, how you don't know, right? Like, you can be trying to improve your life, and then you just can't take it. Like, one day, you just can't take it anymore, and it's it's too much. I've been fortunate enough not to have to deal with much of that in my life. Uh, My grandfather uh, took his life before I was born, so I didn't... I think my mom was pregnant with me, but Mm -hmm. I know the toll that kind of took on my parents and... They were together at the time, so yeah. I know it's it's, and the thing is, is you never know why people do it either. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like some people feel like they're burdening other people, yeah. so they'll do something like that, and um, it, it's just almost never the case, you know. Yeah, like, people would much rather have you around, <laughs> you know, than anything else. Hundred percent, man. One of my really good friends in high school, I won't say his name, but uh, he killed himself. I think our sophomore year, um, me and old Perry try and, so try and go intense. up to the uh, cemetery every year on the day yeah. and like, you know, 
just talk to him for a bit. But yeah, so like that's the closest I've ever been to suicide, you know, to anyone killing themselves that I know. It's, It's really sad. Yeah, and I know that like I've struggled with depression and a lot of people have and um, I'm just thankful that it's never like gotten to that point, you know, obviously that would be, that'd be the worst. But um, on a, on a more positive note about Nirvana, what are, what are some of your favorite Nirvana tunes? Oh man. I'm a big fan of uh, heart shaped box. Great tune. Yeah. I'm going to be super lame, dude. Yeah. Like, how could you not love Teen Spirit? Like you yeah. ever, you ever like go to a dive bar, you know, and mm-hmm. someone puts Teen Spirit on the jukebox and yeah. you're playing pool or something? It's like impossible not to be like, yeah, yeah. you know. You're just like start like self moshing. So um, to this day, kids still ask me how to play that song. Yeah, in your lessons. In my like, lessons. Yeah, they're yeah, like, how do day. you play? It smell like smells like Teen Spirit, and I'm like, really? <laughs> like you're a eight year old kid. Yeah. And you want to play it? I've I've taught it at least a dozen times. Dude, it's one of those songs, man. Like it is a lifer. Like that's always gonna be, that's always gonna be one of those songs that people play. It's gotta yeah. be on playlists forever, dude. Totally. And, uh, but yeah, to sort of wrap up that idea, the reason this was so important to me is because indirectly, Nirvana is the reason that I like the music that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's like yeah, you're mentioning like all your favorite bands like nirvana so they're like your favorite bands favorite band yeah exactly yeah there's a that's what rappers always say there was like i'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah but uh it's we gotta get tom the the phd in dude, hip-hop i am i can't get on that podcast <laughs> you and tom dude dude tom knows too much yeah. <laughs> i'll just be sitting there like dude you know tom will be like 1986 KSR1 or KRS1 or whatever, you know, I'd be like, dude, I know that song, but I didn't know anything, you know, dude, he's, he's neck deep in that. He shit. loves it. And he's yeah. really, really, we should, get him, we, should, we should get him to do it that. It would be actually. a fun episode to do. Yeah. Like a yeah. brief history of hip hop or something like that. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. But yeah, yeah man. a little, little tie it up in a bow. Nirvana, uh, dude. Yeah. I love, dude, I love Nirvana. Like I said before the, before you told the story, like, they he really showed me how you could just be a guy writing songs. You don't need to be an incredible singer. You don't need to be an incredible um, guitarist. Mm-hmm. Even though I love Kurt Cobain's voice, I don't think anyone would argue that he's like gonna you know appear in an opera or no, something. No, yeah, he's <laughs> like, he's not what he's not a singer. Yeah, it's just know? I real it's the passion behind it. Like, and he's not necessarily a shredder on yeah. guitar. Which is, like I said, I was not a shredder and I was not a talented singer. I'm still, I, it takes me a while, you know, to like learn a song and like really feel like I'm getting it with my vocals. Yeah. But Nirvana helped show me that it's not just about your technique and your your skill. It's also like this wild card aspect of it, like this X factor of just passion and drive and energy and they showed me that like there was a lot you can do with just that, and then, you know, other things will come fall into place later. But that that passion and stuff, I realized, oh man, you can actually just play three chords, and sing five lyrics, and yeah. if you do it the right way, it, it can be it can really be an incredible sick. song. Yeah, man, he was he was incredible, man. He's one of those musicians that like transcended music. You know, totally. like you think about certain guys, like he. He was a fashion icon in a way. Yeah. You know yeah, he mean? was. He was 
so much. He was well, he was a good looking dude. Like he's a handsome dude. Yeah. You know he he started. The ladies loved him. The ladies loved him. You know, girlfriend number seven that <laughs> broke up with him. You know, all of them. They all loved him. He was just yeah. tortured, and he must have been real tough to date. <laughs> must have been rough, dude. You know, d- yeah. Dating someone on heroin can't be easy. Especially someone who's like emotionally unstable half yeah. the time, if not more than half the time. Yeah. I mean, rough. All right. You want to take a little break, freshen these drinks, and then uh, come back All right. for the rest of it? Let's do it. Right, cool. What's up, radio headers? <laughs> radio. Wait, what was it again? Radio heads. Radio heads. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, radio heads? Um, it was kind of a rough night for us last night. Ugh. We were out. Uh, I mean, you pretty much summed it up pretty good. You were out there listening to radio keys at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Drinking beer out by a fire. Yeah, it was it was really nice, man. We planted a garden yesterday. Yes, we did. A vegetable garden. Yeah. So I was just on a heater, dude. I was feeling good about the day and didn't want to go to sleep. Dude, Probably should it. have gone to sleep, yeah. but, you know, it happened. I went to sleep, uh, was pretty pretty drunk, and woke up today just like, oh, just felt good, but, like, I knew I still had to, a price to pay. Dude, later. I had a late bloomer mm-hmm. i did not feel that bad yeah and then about an hour later i was like oh no yeah yeah i uh felt the exact same way um but i i got up early because the cats wake me up every morning just like meow, meow, meow. and i know they want food so i go out there and they're not gonna stop until they get it and so you gotta you know appease them just give them a little bit of food and then couldn't go back to sleep so that was like at eight o'clock which Sounds normal for most people, but when you're up to like two, <laughs> being an idiot, it's like, way too yeah, early. Too early. Um, yeah, me and Perd have a thing we do when you kick him out of your room. <laughs> he he goes to my bathroom window, yeah. and, he, and he's just like, Meow. so so I open the window and I'm like, Meow. <laughs> we just go back and forth for like a minute, and yeah, then he is a selfish cat. Uh, he's such a lover, but he's such a selfish cat. Like um, Amber and I were were. Uh, thinking of adjectives for our cats. Like, we could only come up with three adjectives. And with him, I put selfish, loving, and, uh, God, what was the other one? Dopey. Dopey. Yeah, he's Dopey. a doofus, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's a doofus. Yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, I love the cats, for sure. But it was just one of those mornings where you felt, like, kind of just not right all day. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I did all the research for my story, like lying in bed, watching YouTube videos, looking up Wikipedia, like trying my best to take notes and exactly pay exactly what I was doing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so today, uh, I've my band that I'm going to do, and it's not just a band; it's a more specific story in the end. Um, but I think we all know it's the reason why we're all cursed with uh, that one guy who's like Freebird every <laughs> live performance. Man, there was. There was someone, oh man, who was it? It was a guy at uh, the last show he played. Um, his name's Nate, I think, Nathan. He was a comedian dude. Oh, at, uh, at, at San uh, Francisco. Yeah. yeah and yeah. what was that bar called again? God, it's been Something so long. Irish? Yeah, Ireland's 32. Yeah, there you go. So we were hanging out with him and we, we were uh, talking about Freebird because it was like a sound check and uh, someone in the bar. There was like four people in the bar when you we were sound checking. And of course, someone yells Freebird. Of course. And then uh, he said, uh, <laughs> he's like, uh, see, I had a guy. He's like, I saw a guy who dealt with it so well. He said, um, look, guy, like someone yells Freebird on stage. So let's go. Let, let's hack this out. You act Freebird. Right. You, you're the Freebird guy. Play Freebird, guys. You know, we would, but we have a deal with Skinnerd. 
we don't play any of their songs and they don't play any of ours. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's a great way that's to That's really it. good. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot about it until you just said it right now. Yeah. But uh, the what I'm going to do is uh, the the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Oh, because that's a good one. For me, Leonard Skinner is like kind of this band that's always been lurking in the background. Like we all know their songs. We all know they're great. They have, they're just one of those bands that has countless hits, you know, yeah, from yeah, simple, yeah. simple man to I free bird to guilty Sweet pleasure. Yeah. Sweet home, Alabama. Um, give me three steps. Like all of these songs. What's your name? Little girl. Yeah. 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 And it's like, they were that like raucous, uh, like barroom rock and roll band. Yeah. That, um, Dude, I'm excited. Just a little inside yeah. uh, information here. We don't know about each other's research, right? So I'm hearing this as he's telling you guys, live, too. Live, so I'm yeah. like, all right, let's get into this, baby. Let's go. Yeah. So uh, this is, I'm going to give, there were a few different lineups of uh, Skinner. I keep wanting to call him Zeppelin. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just one of those like we've adult. Been, we've been playing a lot of Zeppelin adult lately. drunk brains. Um, so this is. This is the lineup that went down in the plane because they had many lineups, but this is the lineup that went down. Um, it was Ronnie Van Zant, lead vocalist. He was the lead vocalist for all of their studio records. So every, if you close your eyes and picture any Leonard Skinner song, is Ronnie Van Zant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't like a, uh, this isn't like an ACDC situation where there like, was like, you know, Bon Scott, and then there was what's his name like. Johnson, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Yeah, Brian Johnston or Johnston. Johnston. I, I think so. Um, it's not like that kind of situation. Um, yeah. It was Ronnie Van Zant was the guy, the coolest guy to ever not wear sleeves. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Ronnie Van Zant? <laughs> no, uh, oh. Brian Johnston. Oh yeah. Oh, and that hat. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. He just he just didn't wear sleeves one day, and he was like, that that this is it for me. They, you know, they had a pretty crazy ACDC. Just real quick, they had a like. They had like two Hall of Fame careers, which is insane for a band that switches. Like everyone's saying, like Sammy Hagar was like, in all respect to our our boy Drew Hagar, but sub Drew. For me, Van Halen is like it's not the Sammy Hagar Van Halen. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Two two Hall of Fame careers for uh, ACDC. Yeah, we were we were just talking about this. Bon Scott and Brian Jones. ACDC is one of those bands. One of those bands. We were just talking about how like they want to be American, you know, like how all yeah. the great rock bands. Well, they're Australian. They're Australian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we were saying like all the great rock bands are British, but somehow mm-hmm. wanted to be American. But sound like Americans. sound like Americans. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's funny that you bring this up because um, I actually have some stuff on that about. Um, Leonard Skinner, but yeah. So it's Ronnie Van Zant, lead vocalist, Gary Rossington, guitar, Alan Collins, guitar, um, Steve Gaines on guitar, Artemis Pyle, it sounds like a transformer, on drums, and keyboardist Billy Powell, and uh, bassist Leon Wilkinson. They're one of those big ass bands. Yeah. That, like uh, those Southern rock bands. You know, they have like, they had one drummer, but a lot of Southern rock bands have two drummers or like three guitar players, a keyboardist, and they were. They were one of those bands that tour, 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 toured. They uh, they kind of grew up blue collar, rough. Um, yeah. They saw how miserable their families were, mm-hmm. like barely paying the bills and being miserable. And they're like, we can barely pay the bills and just play all the time. Like that's it. So they ended up all, I think, living together, traveling together. And this is like a 
kind of what I want to do. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> what I want to do too. It's um, God, this has got to be like 1969, 68. Yeah. They formed in 64, but didn't change their name to Leonard Skinner until 69. 69. And uh, they named it Leonard Skinner after like a real shithead conservative uh, gym teacher at their school. Yeah. But, I mean, they changed the letters around, but Leonard yeah. Skinner was a shitty gym teacher apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, uh, they just, they toured like, it says they played a thousand shows in three years before they got signed. So, I mean, we played 70 last year. And was exhausted. And was exhausted. So <laughs> multiply that by 10 years, and that's 700 shows. Yeah. So they did more, 300 more than that in a third of the time. You said they played a thousand a shows? A thousand in, shows in three years. That's... 330 dates a year? Yeah, out of 365. That's crazy, mm-hmm. man. So they said they lived off peanuts and yeah. just like barely got any money. But if you've ever watched uh, Skinner on a live video, they're so tight and they have such a layered, incredible sound. Which is really tough to do when you got like 14 members. Yeah. yeah. You know? You have a hard enough time with three or four. Yeah. <laughs> so... Let's get back into uh they um so Ronnie Ronnie Van Zant he like I think he was really inspired by the British invasion and a lot of these guys were because you know when they're growing up they would uh you had the you know the fill the radio and you're basically just scanning the channels to see what you could find and a lot of the times what you could find when you lived in the south back then were uh John Lee Hooker uh, muddy waters, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. Ronnie Van Zant fell in love with the attitude of blues singers, ra- rather than the pop and. Con- I mean, I'm sure he loved country music too, but you know the bubblegum stuff. He wasn't so much into that. He was into like the hard living lifestyle that like, was portrayed by blues players. Sort of that gritty stuff. Totally. Yeah. And he, they were so gritty. Like picture, picture, like how you imagine the Hell's Angels to be. Yeah. Like, and that's what they were. They were really like that. Like, um, one guy I saw in a documentary, he was talking about how his friend was interviewing them for like some publication and he would go to, um, Leonard Skinner's hotel room after the show. And he said it was, uh, it was like going into like a different world. Um, you go into this, this room and it's all, you know, fucked up. There's, bourbon everywhere there's drugs these guys smell terrible they're huge they have like giant hats and like you know they're just dressed ridiculous and they'd be like hey boy come here boy hey hit this bourbon for me hey sit on my lap boy like they'd be like they were like that kind of band like so rowdy yeah and just they'd be like hey check out this this 44 i just bought like they had guns everywhere they were they were the outlaws that they portrayed in Dude, their yeah. image and their songs. Like they really lived that lifestyle. Yeah. And I mean, when you're touring on the road 333 days a year, I imagine it's really easy to fall into a routine where you wake up at four, travel to the next town, play a show, and then get obliterated and yeah. then do the same do thing, the same thing every, over and over again every day. Ugh. So. That's kind of what Skinner was all about. I can't even do two days in a row, dude. <laughs> we're, we're off one night and we're dead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they were mostly influenced by John Lee Hooker, uh, Muddy Waters, um, that 
kind of uh, yeah. Delta blues um, type of type of sound. Then they were inf- they were influenced by um, the Beatles, the Who, um, the Rolling Stones. Apparently, Ronnie Van Zant saw Mick Jagger perform for the Rolling Stones, and then his goal was to become a, uh, like a rock and roll star. Yeah, he like saw Mick Jagger, and he was like, "That's what I want to be." Did Jagger was a problem back then, yeah, dude. 130 pound yeah, problem. Yeah, just the the smallest pair of jeans you've ever seen on a man. Steal your girl. <laughs> and your man. And your man. <laughs> yeah. It's like Prince. Mr. <laughs> steal whatever you got. Yeah, steal, take it all. <laughs> um, and then another huge influence that they had was the band Free. You know that band that's like, all right now. Yeah, yeah. Apparently that was one of their big bands that they freaking loved. Really? That, like, yeah. It's kind of weird. Which because is funny because you're saying they're like these rowdy sort yeah. of biker kind of dudes, yeah. you know? Well, apparently Free has a bunch more bluesy shit. Like, oh, that's okay. their song, you know? But apparently yeah. they have a lot more, a lot more of a variety going on for them. But they loved Free, apparently, is what <laughs> I, I saw in this documentary, which is funny. But if you listen to Skinnerd, they kind of have that vibe, like a lead guitar-driven um, rock and roll band. Yeah. Know? That's kind of what Southern rock is, is lead guitar-driven rock and roll with a Southern accent. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that was their that was their shit right there. In 1964, they started to kind of blow up a little bit more um, because they toured with uh, they. Well, they ha- sorry. Let me back up a second. In 1973, they released their debut record, which was their self-titled, mm-hmm. but because their name spelled so weird, it's called the pronounced Leonard Skinnerd. Album like it literally says Leonard Skinner, and then in parentheses underneath it says pronounced Leonard Skinner. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. phonetically, like phonetic. spelled out underneath. <laughs> it. So that's the pr- uh, pronounced Leonard Skinner yeah, record, yeah. and that one had uh, Freebird on it. Okay, and like overnight, that song became what it is. And that was you the know? day the music died. <laughs> <laughs> that was the day we all were condemned to the to seven hells of guys. Freebird. If you're listening to this and you don't play music and you're not in a band, it's not a joke. Like, if you play five shows, four times someone's going to yell, play Freebird during the set. And they think they're so funny, too. They it's, think they're so funny. They're the only one that's ever done it, right? Yeah. It's they're like, like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you can tell them. You can tell they're just like, yeah, I did that. I yeah. got them. I got them. Got Man, that was good. Yeah. It's like uh, when people do karaoke and they want to sing... Uh, like total eclipse of the heart or something like that. That's like, they think that it's like a super funny, witty song to choose, but really everyone who goes to karaoke, like one time chooses it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's very similar dude. I feel I like was... Freebird dude is guy who's going to sing, uh, or sweet Caroline, you know, that, yep. that karaoke guy. Yeah. That guy. Or oh. glycerin. Oh man. Glycerine, <laughs> <laughs> dude. It's glycerine. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they played, uh, with the who, in 1974. We love The Who. Oh, wait, wait, wait. 1973 is when they uh, toured with The Who for their Quadrophenia album, which I believe is... Uh, fuck, what songs are on Quadrophenia? I can't remember. But uh, Rock and roll trivia. You know what The Who was called before they were called The Who? No, I don't. I might be wrong, actually. Oh, no. It might not be The Who. I think they were called The High Numbers. Oh, really? Yeah. Want to know what Leonard Skinner was called before Leonard Skinner? <laughs> no. One percent. One percent? That was their name. <laughs> it's like my phone battery. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's like a Bernie Sanders speech. One yeah. oh, percent. 
All that one percent. All that one percent. Rest, dude. Poor Bernie. Dude, we're about to drop some content probably tomorrow. Uh, and there's some pretty funny Bernie Sanders stuff in it. Nice. So stay nice. tuned for that. All right. Um, so they got signed. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but I forgot. I, can't, I didn't write down who discovered him, but some guy who was kind of a, a big shot. Uh, he was a producer for the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Okay. He saw Leonard Skinner play in a club and was blown away. Brought him in, and uh, their first record was pretty much a club set that they just recorded in the studio and then had some minor adjustments. Probably re-recorded vocals, maybe a few guitar takes, whatever. Yeah. But it was pretty much a club set that they just recorded, and then, you know, Freebird blew up. It That's just crazy. became that song. Yep. Um, and then they, uh, after that, they came out with... Um, the next year, they released Second Helpings, which was 1974, mm-hmm. and um, that had Sweet Home Alabama on it, and that was like, that just blew them up. Like, That's crazy, huge. man. So once once they blew up, it was just anybody's game. There's a lot of, you know, political stuff in that record, like responding to Neil Young, like, I hope Neil Young will remember. That was in response to... Neil Young having a, a song, uh, Southern Man. Um, and I, I think Sweet Home Alabama has to be one of the most recognizable songs of all time. One of right? the greatest guitar riffs of yeah, all time. It's got to be. It's been sampled at Yeah, like it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to play it, but no one plays it like they played it. Yeah. Just for the record, it was the high numbers. Oh, nice. Good old good old Google. Good job. Good job. Thank you. So, um, once, uh, sorry, where was I? Sweet Home Alabama, they blew up. 74. Um, yeah, 74. They released a record every year after that. 75, 76, 77. Nothing fancy. Give me back my bullets. And then in 1977, they released Street Survivors, which was uh, October 17th, ni- uh, 1920. Um, <laughs> Sounds like I, I wrote I wrote twenty here like the year was twenty it wasn't it was seventy seven but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh, what was the name of that one uh, I almost said, dude I almost said Survivor Series <laughs> I'm all over the place uh, Street Survivors yeah that sounds like an Akon record <laughs> it I'll, I'll get into Street Survivors in a second they, right. I mean they um they they released it on uh, the seventeenth and it has a really eerie um like uh album cover because it's the band in front of like this explosion and it looks like you know you could be like oh that was you know the the plane on fire or whatever you want to say like it had a weird like kind of doomsday vibe to it Mm -hmm. so much so that they actually pulled the original cover so the if you have like the original (laughs) um street survivors uh album You'll see, it's on fire, yeah. and then they took it out, and it's all black now. But it was really eerie because the guy who was the most on fire on the cover of the record, like surrounded in flames, was one of the guys who died. Who died? Oh yeah. my gosh! So, out of respect to the family, they ended up changing it. But three days after they released their record, they were about to um, embark on this tour, and uh, they were. They uh, ended up settling on this 1948 Convair 240, which is a twin-engine turboprop, which um, I used to be in the insurance industry for aircraft. So yeah. I know what a turboprop is. It, 
it's uh, on the fuselage, that front part. It mm-hmm. has a propeller on the front. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it also has two engines on the side. On the side. But it's old. 1940, what was it? 1948. It was a 48, and this was in 74. 77. 77. So this was, you know, 29 years. Yeah. It had 29,000 flight hours. That sounds so it was like a lot. It was so bad. It was such a bad plane that uh, Aerosmith actually wrote it earlier that year. Uh-huh. And um, they said they would never, ever fly in that plane again because it just seemed so dangerous. Yeah. Um, it, so they decided, fuck it, let's get this plane. It's, you know, the right price for sure, and uh, that'll be it. Um, so on, uh, what, what did I say? It was 10-20, uh-huh. 1977, three days after they released their record. They all get on this plane, and and uh, Ronnie Van Zandt is actually quoted as saying, uh, if the Lord wants you to die on this plane, when it's your time, it's your time. When they were getting onto the plane, there's like multiple surviving band members who claim he said who that because they were joking about how dangerous it was. Yeah. Oh, my and, God. Um, yeah. Pilot Walter McCreary, um, he said there was five hours of fuel left on the plane, and they they know because they had just made a similar trip like a few days before. So they're like, we have plenty of fuel for this trip. I think they were going to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, so they, they, yeah, they were trying to, it was a 4.02 p.m. They left for Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, I think out of South Carolina. And they were, they were just going to play. You know, that's what they were going to do. Yeah. So um, they have five hours of fuel, plenty of time. They get out there. Um, they're playing cards in the, you know, in the plane, Ronnie Van Zant sleeping on the floor. They're just chilling, yeah. you know, and Doing then, um, and then, um, the pilot comes over the intercom like, Hey, we have 10 minutes left to fuel. I need to find like an emergency landing spot. Um, I remember that, uh, when I was reading, when I was watching this video, the last communication they got was, um, something like. Uh, where was it? They were set. Oh, they they just called in and said they were out of fuel, and that was two hours into the flight. So they thought they had five hours worth of fuel, but they only had two hours worth of fuel. So they're in the middle of their flight, yeah. And then they look down at the gauges, and they're like, "Oh shit, we're out of fuel." It'd be like if you left your house with a full tank of gas, and then you know halfway to Oakland, you look down and you're on empty. Yeah. That's You're just crazy. like, what? Like, what happened? Yeah, what happened? I must have a leak. Hole in the tank yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. So they crash. Uh, so before we get to crashing, um, uh, they are alerted that they are going to crash. They're going to try to do an emergency landing. They're over all these forests, and uh, they can't find a spot to land, so they just go to the, the tops of the pines and start going into the forest. Um Accounts are, you know, a lot of the members just kind of accepted what was happening and they just sat there and like prayed quietly Mm -hmm. while some members of the group, I mean, it wasn't just the band, it was also the roadies and backup singers and everybody, everybody, some people were, you know, panicking and freaking out. Um, So they ended up hitting the trees and uh, Billy Powell was the keyboardist. Um, he, he, He was quoted as saying, I remember we started 
clipping those pine trees. It felt like being rolled downhill in a garbage can and being hit by 100 baseball bats at the same time. So that's a pretty intense visual to Yeah, imagine. that makes you like, geez, Louise. Yeah, they hit Whew. the ground. So they came down. Uh, the wings got shorn off because everyone, anyone who knows if you're like in a plane uh, and you're crashing into trees, it's going to take the wings right off. Yeah. So they're just basically a missile. And a bullet. Now. Yeah. And the pilots, you know, they don't get enough credit for this, but having been in a background of basically insuring planes against accidents you see a lot of planes that do get into accidents Mm -hmm. and you can tell when a pilot is a hero or a pilot not a hero but a pilot you know does everything he can to save the people on the plane because the way that they landed everyone but i think six people died on the plane everyone sorry other way around six people died everyone else survived Survived, and the two pilots ended up dying but they landed it pretty flat, but their fuselage, that front I was talking about, broke off. Probably got ripped off. And yeah. they smashed into a tree, the two pilots. Oh, my goodness. They were killed on impact. So that was uh, co-pilot William Gray and uh, McCreary. They both died. Um, Steve Gaines, the guitar player, he had just taken over guitar. His older sister, Cassie Gaines, was singing backup vocals for her. Imagine the Gaines family. Both their children die on that plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dean Kilpatrick, he was an assistant road manager. He died. And Ronnie Van Zant was killed, too, the yep. lead singer. Um, and what, from what I saw is uh, Billy Powell kind of stumbled out of the plane, one of the first to wake up from the, from the accident. Yeah. And he, he was like, oh, my face is like hanging. Or sorry, my nose is hanging off my face. He, he was all busted Just up. Just destroyed. Everyone suffered like serious internal issues injuries um broken bones uh the bassist and him they they were the ones who left to go find help so they like wandered through the forest to try to find help at like a nearby ranch or farm or whatever yeah and that's how they ended up getting help to everyone so fast but by then like i said ronnie van zant who was he was widely considered like the not just the front man, but he was like, uh, he has a lot of great quotes, um, so, like saying stuff like, if you want to talk to the man in charge, you're talking to him now. Like he was, he was like, this is my band. You guys are my band. I'm in charge. I write the songs. I'm the lead singer. Like, this is who I am. Yeah. And so Kurt was a lot like that. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot of lead singers are. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was, you know, he was, a not a mountain of a man, but he was a bear of a man. Like he was very much in charge. Yeah. And when they lost him, it was just not going to be a thing anymore. Yeah. So there's a, I think there's an interview. It, I can't remember who it's with, but it's with a member of Skinner and uh, he's bleeding from his face. It's like right after the accident. And uh, they're asking him if there's going to be a Leonard Skinner still. And remember they're gigantic now. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. he's just like, no, I don't think there's ever going to be a Skinner again. So, that's crazy. Yeah, they. Uh, so what happened was, um, the uh, U.S. National Transportation Safety Board did a thorough, thorough investigation, and what they found was um, the pilots. And it's a little messed up, but they found that the pilots were negligent in like being able to uh, monitor all the fuel gauges uh-huh. and make sure they had enough fuel. But what really happened is there was a mechanical error. In, the, in one of the engines that caused it to suck 
like way more fuel. So that's why they went down in two hours instead of the five. Instead of the five, and um, it's a little shitty that their names get thrown under the bus because they basically saved the majority of the people on the. They're also they are also like they were not looking at their fuel monitor for sure when yeah. they're in the plane, or they would have seen, wow, we have half a tank or whatever and yeah why are we losing fuel so quickly yeah but they just didn't think you know and um so i don't want to say they've been villainized but they definitely got a little bit thrown under the bus pilot error was the reason mechanical failure and pilot error in conjunction with each other or was the reason for the the plane crash and um yeah, so the five surviving band members were billy powell on keyboards leon wilkinson on bass Artemis Pyle on drums, Alan Collings on guitar, Gary Rostenton on guitar. And they all had debilitating injuries. They couldn't play, um, and they didn't have their singer, their their captain. You know, they were they're pretty much done. That record, um, uh, Street Survivors, went platinum after that. that. It was probably their most popular record, I'd say. Yeah, it um, usually works that way, unfortunately. Yeah, so... I think their best record is their their second one. Um, I think it's Second Helpings. What is it called? Um, yeah, Second. Such Helpings. a good name. Yeah, Second Helpings. Um, and yeah, that was that was essentially the end of Leonard Skinner. They had a brief reunion with the Charlie Daniels band. Um, they like played a, a lead set. They played a instrumental version of Freebird with the Charlie Daniels band on TV. Yeah, like two years later. But then they were completely broken up until 87 when uh, uh, they ended up getting Ronnie Van Zant's brother, Johnny Van Zant, on vocals. So if you ever see Led or Led Zeppelin, you see I almost said it did again. It, you did it again. Skinnerd, ne- or if you saw them you know, after 77, it was probably with Johnny Van Zant. So after that, the, the band was pretty much just cursed. Um, Collins, uh, he was one of the guitar players. He was left a, a paraplegic after a motorcycle accident in '86. Wow. So, um, and then he died from pneumonia in 1990. Wilkinson uh, was found dead in his hotel room in 2001. Um, I didn't look up why, yeah. but I imagine it was, you know, probably something not normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably not natural causes. Usually, um, those hotel room ones are. Sketchy. Yeah. Powell, um, the keyboardist who climbed out of the you know plane and saved everyone, mm-hmm. uh, he died of a heart attack 11 years ago. So Rosatin and Pyle are the only survivors of the original band. And I feel like Pyle might have passed away too since that documentary I saw. Um, so I, I guess really I imagine, like I always thought of, um, Leonard Skinner as kind of like this uh, they put out so much incredible music I look at them like the Eagles or like Steve Miller Band or someone like that where I'm like they must have had a huge long career and I figured it was like a ACDC sing- thing where they had like a different singer just maybe. different yeah but, different iterations of it yeah it was not like that they were very short lived I felt that way with uh, Nirvana too I mean I knew that they weren't a band for a super long time but once I realized, I mean, their run was really like three years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they released a record a year. Yeah. Um, so I would say 
you know, to talk about Leonard Skinner's impact, they have Freebird, which I think people would consider one of the greatest rock songs ever written. Sweet Home Alabama. Um, Same. And they were only really around for about four serious years. Dude, Simple Man is a banger. Yeah, dude. It, it is a banger. I, I love the Ballad of Curtis Lowe. That's uh-huh. my favorite Skinner uh-huh. song. And that was off Second Helpings, I think. Were we listening to that last night? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say their legacy is kind of just like being the um, the Southern rock band. Like yeah. the Allman Brothers are there too. And for the record, they hated the term Southern Rock. They really? hated it. Yeah. It was kind of what's funny is Southern Rock was not a thing when it was a thing. It was like later coined. It was like a phrase that was coined later to describe all these bands. But at the time, they just considered themselves like a, uh, a bunch of Southern boys um, who, you know, played blues rock. That's yeah. what they thought. They didn't think like we're a Southern Rock band. But now it's so obvious that that's Southern Rock. That's what we consider it, you know? And yeah, I was. I always pictured uh, Leonard Skinner to be more of a hippie band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing is like, so this, they had, they're really famous for having like the stars and bars behind them all the time. All the time, yeah. Which I think culturally maybe meant something a little bit different in the, in the 70s than it does, yeah, it does now, now, obviously. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, is they they weren't that way like they weren't racist and they didn't hate you know gays and they were all they were all about that kind of stuff and that was kind of their message in sweet home alabama you know where they're like a southern man don't need you around anyhow because what neil young was doing is he was telling them how wrong they were in the south and what it was like in the south and how they were wrong because of it and they're like you don't live in the south we live in the south and we're not like that like that's not what we're like that's not what they're about like their, I think it's their second record. They have like pot leaves and a rainbow on the cover. So it's like, yeah, th- that stuff not, like that made me think, you know, yeah, the, and and the way their music sounds and the way it comes off, yeah. I always pictured like the, them being rednecks. But right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but yeah. also hippies. But hippie, like hippie, hippie dippy rednecks. You know totally. I mean? But but back in the day, like rednecks and hippies hated each other oh yeah it was like yeah, yeah. so everyone considered them to be rednecks like they were in that camp but yeah ronnie van zandt hated that like they were rough don't get me wrong they were rough but they 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 weren't consumed by hate and like bigotry and i think they get misconstrued a lot because of the stars and bars and i, I i'm not saying i support the stars and bars but a lot of people look at them with that filter and yeah. that's not what leonard skinner was about yeah. I really I really don't believe that that's what Leonard's going to really I do about. definitely get the uh you know the just the southern pride part of the stars and bars. Yeah. Obviously. Well they wanted to be outlaws and rebels. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they thought about. They didn't think they didn't think of all the hate it also symbolized. Yeah. Like if you look at it like a quilt of like different meanings and different things like yeah. they maybe had the they were down with like the rebel part of the quilt and like the you know independent part of the quilt and they they were not down with like the racist like kkk yeah defending slave holding starting i totally a war get that over, man you know what i mean i totally get it so th- i i kind of wanted to bring that up because they do kind of like you know how uh a lot of a lot of things that happened in these past couple of years is historical figures have kind of gotten demonized for like they're being measured by today's standards yeah 
And I feel like Skinner went through that too a little bit. Um, and then people prescribe their music. And they're like, oh, well, you know, they're rednecks. They're good old boys. They don't, you know, they're whatever it might be. But yeah, really what I want to say is all that aside, their music is incredible. They're one of the most so incredible good. live bands. Um, they, they, their arrangements are great. Their guitars are great. I love Ronnie Van Zandt's voice. He mm-hmm. has such a quirky personality to his voice. Uh-huh. And you can tell he's not like the most natural singer either, but he, he's kind of like Easy e you know? Like how Easy yeah, yeah. e like <laughs> isn't a, a natural comparison. rapper, but yeah, he's he not, like... But, but when he hits it, it's like, yeah. now that's sick. You know it's real. Yeah. And like yeah, that yeah. was kind of Ronnie Van Zandt too. Like when he sings, you know it's real because yeah. they were those guys. They It's like Stuart Patrick, man. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stuart. Yeah, I'm sorry, dude. My bad. <laughs> Do you remember that last yeah. time? I was making fun of Alante because he always calls me Steward, and I'm like, dude, that's not even a name; that's an occupation. <laughs> anyway, so that was pretty much it, man. Uh, that's the story of Leonard Skinner and the plane crash, and um, rest in peace, Ronnie Van Zant, and all those other guys. And yeah, that was nice, man. I, I obviously knew about the plane crash, but I didn't. I feel like I learned a little bit about the band. Totally. Well, I wanted to kind of be more all-encompassing, you know. Hopefully, I didn't ramble on too much. Hey, dude. It's a shelter in place, and people have a second to, uh, to, to listen, So, or hopefully. So we uh, have a lot. So now we're shift some radio keys news if people want to hang up. Yep, yep. But uh, we just want to kind of pump a few things. Um, we're going to get ready for a vinyl pre-sale. Yep. Because we need to earn some money to pay back those, those dudes. Um, we were supposed to... We probably would have made close to two or three grand by now um, if our shows hadn't been canceled, and that would more than pay for the vinyl record. Yeah. But because all that money's gone, we are still we still have an outstanding balance on the on the vinyl. So we're hoping to get some pre-sale in. Um, so we're gonna have a link to our pre-sale uh, when this drops, and um, we'll let you know what it is for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, every Wednesday, we're releasing. Uh, the shelter sessions a new which is a new cover song that we've recorded in our studio it's not Mm -hmm. like a live thing we we do it pretty we go pretty deep into it like it's not you know like a cheap recording or anything like that we we, we definitely take it seriously and we're we're passionate about it just like if we were playing on stage or Mm -hmm. anything so we're not we're not half-assing these these tunes and i think it's showing in in the in the progression even through the three songs so we've got a good one coming out this week. It's a '90s jam. So it's our first '90s cover that we should. Have. Should, should we hit them with a little bit of a little, little, little teaser? Dude, I wouldn't even know how to tease it. Um, well, what did you say last time? What are two things yeah, you can't what live are two without? Things you can't live without was uh, <laughs> our buddy uh, Chris Casper, alumni of the show. He was uh, he he wrote a song called "Coffee and Weed," mm-hmm. which was a great song. And um, he's like, two things that I need: yeah. coffee and weed." And uh, so these are two other things that are pretty damn good. <laughs> and, uh, it's a 90s tune. So if you think you can guess what, what this is, please shoot us a direct message. Maybe we'll uh, come up with some kind of prize or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where do you find the Shelter Sessions, man? Uh, you can find it on the Bandcamp. So we haven't put it on Spotify yet because we still want to have the majority of people being funneled into our debut record, our original music. But the shelter sessions, we put it on Bandcamp exclusively as kind of a fundraiser originally, but now we're just kind of doing it because we enjoy it so much and all that kind of stuff. So if you go, to, if you look up Bandcamp Radio Keys, you'll find it. 
Um, you can download it. You pay what you want. Um, but yeah, we have uh, Hey, Hey, What Can I Do by Zeppelin. We have Hotel Yorba by the White Stripes. And now we have I'm Only Sleeping by the Beatles. Yeah. And we're going to release one every Wednesday until... Seems like people are digging that one, huh? The people really like that one. Um, yeah, they really like that one, which is good because I was nervous about that one. I, like the, the last day I spent mixing it, I was really frustrated because I couldn't get the intro right or the middle part right. Yeah. And um, I like left and played disc golf by myself and just kind of like walked around for two hours, just like thinking. Trying to, yeah. And then I came back and... I do that with editing, man. Yeah. I just ripped on a... I just like did a bunch of stuff, edited, like copy and pasted a bunch of stuff and then adjusted them, made some things like lower frequencies, like move them low and like made other things higher and like sped stuff up, had like a crescendo throughout it. I had your drum... Mm-hmm. That was from a delay that I just really put on it. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds really cool. Yeah, it sounds like a build. Yeah, so it came out better than I had hoped, and we've gotten really good feedback on it. So that one's on uh, Bandcamp. I'm only sleeping by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any news on? Um, so we have the vinyl pre-sale. I'm uh, Bandcamp Shelter Sessions. Uh, Our uh, podcast we're going to try to drop every Monday. Um, either Tom and Emily as a as a pair, or me and Alante as a pair. Yeah. So also, uh, you know, May Day is J Day, but May Day, being May first, is yeah. also going to be the. I'm, I'm going to mess this up. Conquered Cou- Conquered Couch Concerts. Bam! He said it. And we're going to have a link to that event. Yeah, that should be really fun. Um, we're doing a we're doing a live a quote live set in it. We did a pre-recorded video, but it's pretty much a live performance. Yep. And it, and we're really proud of it and really happy with it. We've got a lot yeah, of good feedback on it. We're excited to roll that out. So we got some things coming for you guys. I know we can't go hang out at Old Vinny's or one of the local uh, you know uh, venues, yeah, but we're still trying to you know keep the band moving forward. We're trying, dude. Like the trailer sheltered in place yeah <laughs> all right well do you have anything else or you feeling good um yeah man i feel good about it just uh stay tuned in with us we also have some more stuff that's going to be coming out that we are not going to let you guys quite know what it is yet because we're not 100 percent on how we're going to do it but we're going to have plenty of content coming out um during these times that are troubling you guys be safe take care of your family go buy your parents their groceries Yes. Call your grandma, tell her you love her. Yes. And uh, we love you guys. Checking on your friends. And uh, thanks for listening, yeah. Radio Headers. Well, I'm Stuart. <laughs> and uh, this is Lante, and we're going to keep searching for that sweet soul music.